Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi and welcome to episode 148 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this episode is with the extraordinary and wonderful singer-songwriter, performer, Montaigne. You can follow her on Twitter, Actual Montaigne, M-O-N-T-A-I-G-N-E. Actual M-O-N-T-A-I-G-N-E. That's where you can find her on Twitter. More about her in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by the wonderful human beings, much like yourself, that sponsor this show each and every week at patreon.com slash osher. Those who sponsor for more than five bucks a month, they get exclusive episodes that no one else can hear. You can join them for as little as five bucks a month because uh, podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make if this if this show brings you any value at all in your life. Uh, I'm thrilled if you feel like you want to give back as a part of the value that you get out of this, um, that it, I'd be stoked. You can give as little or as much as you can or want. I don't mind. Don't give me anything or give me something, whatever you can afford. If you can't afford it, don't. Um, but uh, you, if you start at five bucks a month, you can obviously give me more if you want, but five bucks a month will get you exclusive episodes for about the cost of a fancy cup of coffee. You'll get shows that no one else can hear, um, except I have started to give that access to people that leave a review on iTunes. iTunes charts are very important to make this show more accessible to more people, help more people find out about the show, which, of course, happens when you tell people about the show. But um, giving people who are reviewing the podcast on iTunes at the moment access to those exclusives, not going ongoing access, but just one-time access. So I'll, I'll send them the episodes I've done so far. Uh, so if you go to iTunes, and I know because I see the stats, half of the people that listen to this show listen on an iPhone. So that's a lot of it. 12 people listen on Internet Explorer. 12. Hello to you, you stalwarts. Love you. 
Um, but uh, if you listen on an iPhone, just open up the iTunes app and uh, you can review the show there. Uh, picking a review at random this week to give them the access. And I'm just going to close my eyes and point my finger. And it is Brooke Byrne. Brooke, thank you very much for this, Brooke. Oh, that's really lovely. What have you written? Brooke's written, my weekly inspiration. Oh, thanks. That's what I'm looking to try to do. Brooke says, loves, absolutely loves the show. Inspired by a new person every week. Um, very happy that I only discovered podcasts this year and have so many apps of this podcast to catch up on. Oh, <gasps> it's a whole new world, Brooke. You're in podcast world now. There's so many things to listen to while you're here. Well, I'm glad that I'm part of your, your listening schedule. So, Brooke, please uh, shoot me an email. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Let me know it's you, Brooke, and I'll organize those episodes to get out to you. And uh, I will, if you uh, do put a review on iTunes from the 20, what day is it today? It's Saturday. So from the 27th of August on, 2016, I'll uh, I'll try and call another name out next week. Thanks to everybody that sent their photos of where they're listening to the show. Uh, that's super cool. Podsy seems to have caught on. I don't know if it's pod... What is someone else called? A podfee. It's not a selfie. It's a podfee with an F. I don't know. Whatever you reckon. Uh, just use the phone that you're listening to me on. I know how many people of you are on iTunes, iPhones and Android. So just pick up that phone with a camera in it. Take a photo of it and just send me an email. Send Osher email at gmail.com or tag me on Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter. Um, so many great, so many great photos came in this week, including helping people clean the kitchens. There we go. Because that's what people do when they listen to podcasts. I mean, I do it. I do housework all the time. It's great. In fact, I look forward to dishes time. There's one thing I don't like when I'm doing the dishes. That's being interrupted because I can't listen to my Will and Charlie. Let me listen to Will and Charlie when I'm doing my dishes. That's what I like. I hope your week was good. I managed to hook back into gym this week. I I am terrible at gymnasiums. I get uh, my, my shoulder's starting to unfreeze a bit. My shoulder's starting to move again. So I was actually going into uh, a gym to see if I can do things with the heavy things to lift, like deadlifts and stuff. Um, but I always feel very strange going to a gym. I, the first thing I was diagnosed with was uh, social phobia, which is a fear of people. Nuts considering my job, I know, but that's what I've got. And it kicks in so hard when I'm at a gym. It's still there. I just have to go, okay, I know what you are. I'm not going to let you run my life. I'm just going to go out and do my thing. Uh, because in my mind, it's so crazy. It's just this bizarre distortion of reality that my brain convinces me is true. But in my mind, as my fat ass is trying to swing some kettlebells around and, you know, bear crawl around a floor, in my mind... Um, People are judging me, judging me. And all I want to do is run the fuck away. All I want to do is go and hide and get the hell out of there. But I just have to go, okay, that's that thing. I know it's not real. I just have to push past it. And I'm glad I did because I always feel better once I'm done working out. Even though my brain in its effort to, well, if you're not going to leave the gym, I'm going to tell you that you're too weak to finish these 10 reps. There. No. So you do two reps and your brain goes, oh, better quit. Better stop. Better give up now. But I just listen to my brain going, thank you. I appreciate that is just a thought. The thought that says I'm too weak to finish these 10 reps is just a thought like any other thought, and I can change my mind. So I change my mind, and I go, no, I'm going to do these 10. And I I just, I man always manage the 10, but the brain really kicks in. It tries to, tries to cheat me and tries to get me to leave. But after 45 minutes of being at war with weight plates and kettlebells and my own brain, I feel so much better, and... I just have to push past all that shitty thinking. 
my brain just insists that I stop. It insists that I run away and hide, and I just have to. It's a drag, but that's what my head wants to do, and I just have to recognize that thinking for what it is. It's, it's distortions. It's not real, and I just have to go, okay, thank you. I appreciate that, but I'm just going to keep doing this thing, all right? So if people are looking, fuck them. That's fine. I'm just going to keep doing this thing. And, you know, and in the end, it's all right. But at the time, eh, it sucks. Um, and the same thing that happened at work the other day. Um, we're uh, getting towards the end of this shoot. And so we're, we're, we're um, you know, it's the time of the a production cycle when you're getting towards the end of the shoot. Everyone's very tired and you, you take opportunities to kind of, you know, go out together because it's like the summer camp's coming to an end. We've been working with each other for the last six or seven months and we're all not going to see each other very soon. So it was one of... Uh, uh, one of my, it was my production manager's birthday the other day, so we all went uh, to an outdoor restaurant. We started work very early that morning, so by the time we got to lunch, everyone had been at work, you know, for a ten-hour day or something. So um, people were pretty ready to cut loose, uh, and the beer started flowing. Big jugs of beer were hitting the table left and right, and I got a bit itchy because my only reference to jugs of beer hitting a table and you know we're sitting in the sun we're getting warm and there's jugs of beer on the table and my only reference to that the only thing my brain knows how to do is order two jugs of beer a bucket of potato wedges and just fucking write the afternoon off let's go and again same thing just had to go thanks brain appreciate that appreciate that i'm not going to do that don't drink anymore um too many written off afternoons i'm just going to sit here and uh, then, you know, I'm trying to observe the idea that I, you know, I just wanted to, wanted, to, wanted to flee, just wanted to get out of there. And I just have to just sit there and just observe my brain wanting to flee uh, and just be with it until it passed. And ultimately, it was all right. And I got to have some good chats with people and got to hang out, uh, which was nice. But that first 20 minutes or so, I've really got to work on that. It's been six and a half years since I stopped drinking and I'm just still working on the being out with people who are out drinking. Uh, it was okay. This one was okay because it was a daytime thing. And after about an hour and a half, people were starting to get a bit, you know, others had already made the call to write the afternoon off and that's fine. We all had a long day at work and it was totally okay. Um, no one was driving. Uh, but it was time for me to just smoke bomb. And that's okay. But normally I smoke bomb five minutes in. So it was good to make another 95 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel happy about it. Let me tell you about my guest today. Uh, oh, I'm stoked I can bring you this one. Montaigne is uh, my guest. Her Twitter handle is Actual Montaigne, actual M-O-N-T-A-I-G-N-E. She's fabulous. She's a singer-songwriter. She's a, she's a performer. She's based in Sydney. Uh, her new album, Glorious Heights, is actually out now. Uh, she's touring the country. Montaigne.com.au is where you can find all the tour dates. We met on Twitter uh, after she tagged me in a photo. And the photo was of a, like an old school exercise book. All right. And her and her friend had gone double page spreads and they'd made signs with text, uh, uh, like Sharpie pen that they would hold up. They came to see an Australian Idol show once. They were making signs for Matt Corby uh, about 10 years ago now. And they were making, you know, we love you, Matt, and, you know, say hi to me and stuff like that. They were holding up to get their signs on camera when we cut to a wide shot of the audience coming in and out of ad breaks. But, you know, she was a teenager at the time. Don't forget, I'm old. And I just thought it was just so cool that, you know, this this woman whose job is now to be a performer and just lives her life as a performer even then was... You know, just getting high off that energy of 
of of the stage energy and, and performance energy and it just made me thrilled anyway so she and i started talking and uh thankfully uh her management uh, and i were able to tee up a time for um her to come around and she came into my house uh, one morning and last week and she just fills the room she fills the room there's some people that just really do they fill the room and she fills the room with this powerful it's a powerful energy but it's very loving energy it's very open energy she's a really special human being she really is and i haven't had the chance to see her live but i'm hoping to get along to see one of those shows that uh, she's currently doing because it's clear to me that her even in conversation her authenticity and her ability to express herself is so open and effortless, you can't help but be drawn into what she's talking about. So I can only imagine what it's like when she's singing and when she's on stage in front of a crowd with that extra little kind of performance tweak on top of everything. It must be remarkable. So I can't wait to go see her play. Uh, even if you're not into music that much, and that's fine. Uh, even if you're not into her kind of music, that's also fine. But I'm sure you'll get something out of this chat because we, we cover in this conversation a few interesting things. One, what it's like to redefine yourself uh, and redefine yourself through your appearance, what she talks about. She talks about some struggles that she had with her parents around her sexuality, which I'm sure many people can relate to. And, you know, we talk about what it's like to make music for a living. I hope you get as much of a buzz out of this as listening to it as I did recording it for you because we had a really great chat. So enjoy this conversation with Montaigne. What would you like me to call you? Jess. Jess is okay? Yeah. All right, I'm Osha. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming <laughs> around. That's oh, a water. Did you want a tea or a coffee? Uh, uh, water's fine. I can make you a coffee. Oh, I don't drink coffee, in fact. Do you drink tea? I drink tea, yeah. You're all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I actually, I just came from like a birthday lunch with a friend in Marrickville and she sorted me out with the, the, the tea and coffee and food thing. So, I'm, okay. yeah, I'm great on the tea and coffee thing right All now. All right. Yeah. Whose birthday? Mine. Get out. Oh, well, not today. It, it was on Sunday. Sunday. So I six think. days ago, happy birthday. I'm six days yeah. late. Wait, was it Sunday? Wow. Already six days has passed. No, that's well, five fine. Five days. Five days, whatever. Happy five day late birthday. Oh, so, yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, you can only be like 20. 21. Get out. Wow, I remember 21. It was half a life ago. I'm 42. Oh, all right. There you go. There you go. You're wow. at the meaning of life now. Well, apparently, yes, I am. According I'm, to I'm the, the answer version. to life, the universe, and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Precisely. And you know what I love That about? must be, feel pretty good. They right. pulled the answer out of a Scrabble bag, which made everything even better. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm quite the, mm. quite the Scrabble fiend. Douglas Adams, what a guy, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, my word. More people should read Douglas, Douglas mm. Adams. So how did your 21st birthday make you feel about life? Pretty good, I guess. I mean, I feel like I've accomplished the things that I didn't even know I wanted to accomplish. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and I feel as if I am a well-adjusted, uh, well-balanced human being with her priorities in their right place and good relationships and good health and things are going well. So not, I'm Not much happy. more you can ask for, really. Not really. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, did you, are you from Sydney? 
Like, yes, I grew up in Sydney since I was six or five. Years Where old. were you before that? Canberra, and then I was born in Malaysia. So I was there for like a couple of years. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm an immigrant too, but I'm white, mm. so no one minds. Yeah, I'm also pretty white. <laughs> My fiance, Audrey, she's a Fijian, and she's like, she goes, I'll pass. <laughs> she's pretty white. Yeah. Um, for an Islander. Her mum even says, I don't know what happened. This white baby came out. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so, what part of Malaysia were you? Did you grow up in? Uh, well, two years. I didn't. I don't remember much yeah, of it. No, no, but no, it was what, Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. Okay, great. And why did your parents come out? Well, my parents are in fact. My mom's half Spanish, half Filipino, and was raised in the Philippines. My dad was raised in Argentina and is Spanish, but they lived over there because my dad played football or soccer professionally over there in the in the. National League. So he, while he had his stint over there, I was born, came back to Australia for like a year, then my sister like went back over and then my sister was born there and then we moved back to Australia I think like the year after. So your dad had a professional contract in Malaysia? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Far out. How long did he play for? Uh, as in football over his entire career, just in Malaysia. Like, how old were you until he – is he still playing? Oh, he still plays, not professionally, but he now has his own football school, runs all that, teaches kids for a living, plays in, like, you know, the all-ages men's teams and stuff. Did you have can. any choice whatsoever or was it or was football for you from the moment? Football, so interestingly, I was always an athletic kid. My parents put me through ballet lessons and other dance and swimming lessons and tennis lessons and – Did you want I, did you ballet? Did you ask for it? No, oh, I hate ballet. <laughs> um, yeah. And even to this day, I I feel like my body just wasn't made for dancing. Like it just naturally looks awkward. Or not for that kind of dancing anyway. Not like actual coordinated dancing. But they put me through that and like football. I sometimes participated in my dad's um, – he called it an academy back then. Um, some of the sessions then. But it wasn't my – passion and I think my dad was cool with that my mom kind of took the reins in terms of raising us because she really wanted us to be girly girls which is hilarious because I ended up growing in the complete opposite direction uh but I came to football pretty naturally when I was like 12 or 13 so I got into it in a big way age 12 13 started playing in elite teams from then until I was about 17 or 18. Then I stopped for the HSC and then just kind of got into music. Like music was always my thing. Yeah. Just never pursued it as a career because I didn't think it was possible for me to achieve that kind of, uh, you know, height, I guess. But yeah. So when you say an elite level, are you talking, you're playing for a school and a club? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I played school and I also played for my first team ever was Super League. So I think, the systems from what I hear different now it used to be like club level so anyone can play then Super League and then Premier League and then you know state and the national whatever mm. and um so Premier League's kind of the one that most players get scouted from for like those higher representative teams but started Super League and then my next team was Premier and then my next two or three were also Premier so there was Marconi Stallions and Northwest Sydney Koalas which are like the two top teams so yeah. that was good but um, I always – I you really had to have liked it. If you didn't want to do ballet. Yeah, no, no, no. I was super into it. Yeah. I was really into it. I was like the captain of my first team was really – I like really knuckled down and tried to be a professional about it. My dad's always taught me you've got to be a professional when you're doing those things, especially if you want to get far in them. And um, yeah, I all the way up until I was like 16 or 17 and I wanted to study at an Ivy League – 
um, college in the US. Or at least what I wanted to do was really by that point use football football as the conduit to getting a academic oh, to get a scholarship scholarship or in the oh. US to study there. The love for it had faded a little bit just because I'd been um, – I wasn't like particularly athletic. I was skillful but not really athletic and also got a bit bullied in my teams and I think it was because I was a bit serious about it. Like I didn't muck around and I played a different brand of football. My dad's South American so he's very like skills-based and stuff like Australian f- women's football is a bit more like if you run fast and they can feed the ball through to you and you can just go and score goals and that's what they want. But I didn't really play that way and it was a bit slow. So uh, I think like people just didn't really appreciate that or me. And so I was a little bit disillusioned with it because I'm very much, a, I just want everyone to like me kind of person. And I, uh, I didn't love it enough to, want to persevere through the challenges of it. Yeah. So kind of like once music started to become a thing, I was like, I'm happy for that to take over. Watching, did you watch any of the Olympic football? Uh, the one, the Olympics the, just passed. Yeah, the or, That's it. No, I don't have TV, so. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was great. I hear. I, I was living in the States for a long time and right. so you saw a bit more women's football on telly. Yeah, of you course. You just do. Yeah. Um, it's more popular over there. Well, and yeah, and more also money in it. As well. well, exactly. They are college funding, university funding is definitely tied into how many women get sports scholarships. Yeah, and as a way, which is freaking great. Yeah, um, but it just fosters this incredible com- com- competitiveness amongst the, the women athletes. Yeah. And what was so great is I haven't watched the game of football where really solid challenges mm. were made that didn't stop the game. Every damn time. Right. Because <laughs> the solid challenge was made, the ball got taken, and the player that was challenged got the fuck up. Yeah. Just kept running. Yeah. There was none of this, oh, I'm getting paid a million pounds a week and oh, yeah. I've got a hoodie on the machine. Oh, totally. Yeah. Fuck, no, get off they're the f- really, they're built, you know, tough, those girls. Especially because, like, it's, it's a proper athlete's education that they have there. Like because it's got money, they're trained like athletes. Yeah. They have a regime that is strict, like the AIS here. Like I don't know if you've ever been to the AIS or something, but one because my dad he used to like tours there for the football school. I went on one when I was like thirteen or something like that. And those guys, like every day and night, it's just like I I am doing everything I do and I'm thinking everything I think in order to be the optimal athlete, wow. you know. It's like like they have a, a cafeteria there which has like food which has been, you know, researched as being necessary for optimal functioning as an athlete. They have like certain times that they go, like every facility is wow. there for them, like they're dressed and blah, blah, blah. Like it's just all sort of set up. And I imagine the college system is similar because they want yeah. their – they're competing. They're competing for funds and f- to be the best and to be um, the colleges as well. Just like they want people to come to their colleges. Yeah. So you know, it's I'm, I imagine it must be good for I, them. I guess. I guess the other thing I was really enjoying was um, the men use every challenge as an opportunity to gain a free yeah. kick. No, totally. But the women were just like, yeah, we. I can't. Unfortunately, I can't be seen as someone who falls and holds myself. Totally. When I even if I get all studs down my shin, I yeah. can't yeah. wince. I just got to get up and go. But what it did is it made the game just so exciting to yeah, watch. It totally. was so great. And the skill the, the skill of the tackling was you just don't see that kind of tackling in, in men's football right? because, A, the, the, the aggressor is worried that they're going to 
you know, you know, accidentally tap Messi's ankle. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the you know the the player, the person who's on the offense, is also worried that. He's going to tap my ankle. Yeah. I'd better dive before he hits me because my ankle's worth a million pounds a week. I don't know what the hell fuck yeah. it was, but it, totally it was know. great. Yeah. It was great to watch. Awesome. So when, uh, at what, how old were you when music was your thing? Do you, do you even remember when it started? Well, my parents raised me musical. They're not musical themselves, but they love music. Argentinian and Filipino. I mean, yeah, you think they're pretty. It's going to be in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my. My dad was very much like an active music listener. My mum, when she was younger, she was really into like punk. Um, but she didn't bring it with her when, you know, we were born. Like I just had dad's music all the time and he was really into like hip hop, soul, R&B music from the 80s and 90s. And he used to play it out loud in the house all the time and because they were living in Malaysia and they couldn't understand what the fuck was happening on TV. They just listened to music all the time. So I was hearing music in the womb and then when I was born, it was just music all the time. And then they encouraged us by the time my sister was born. She's two years younger than me. They were encouraging us to sing. They had like a cassette recorder and like a microphone. There is still like recordings on cassettes of us like making, trying to make up our own songs and sing nursery rhymes and stuff like that. Like they're really encouraging in us. They bought us all kinds of like home karaoke and microphone guitar and stuff like that. And so I think just the experience, just constant, um, I suppose, use of my voice and hearing of music just made me musical. And so that's sort of like I've always had a proclivity for music. And then when it finally – I mean, I started writing songs when I was 13. Right on. I started writing things before that, like from a really young age. I've always been a journaler um, or have tried to write poetry or some sort of stories and prose and then but when I was 12 13 I started to get piano lessons and then picked up the guitar and tried to teach myself and ended the piano lessons because I hated them to this day regret it because I like the piano more now like I play enough piano now to write songs on but I'm definitely not a very technical and beautiful player um but yeah so I started writing my own songs and then when it came time to like apply for Ivy league scholarships my parents were like because we were doing it on a football scholarship my mum was like why don't we like put one of your well why don't we record you singing a song a cover of something and then put it over your football highlights reel so that they can see you have multiple talents and well, uh, like those colleges look for that kind of stuff <laughs> exactly yeah. and um and i was like okay well i actually work like a song can we record that? My mom was like, oh, okay, cool. And then we just got like my friend's um, brother, who's just like bedroom producer and does a bunch of um, sound music-y party stuff. And uh, we just did the song in a day. And when my parents got back, I was actually kicking the ball against the window in front of their bedroom. And uh, my dad comes out with tears in his eyes, like being like, the song is so good. Just as I kicked the ball through their bedroom window. <laughs> And I was like, ha ha, I just, uh, I just destroyed your window. And my dad was like, it's fine, the song's so good. I was, it was very good timing on for me. But like from then, my parents were just like so stoked. My mom tried to get me into more studios and recording more songs. And I was actually quite reluctant because yeah. I was definitely much more shy than I am now back then. I mean, obviously, as a 16, 17-year-old, you're still finding yourself. You have no idea what the heck you're about and you haven't experienced the real world. So meeting new people is terrifying. And um, 
But she, she forced me to go. She was like, listen, I've already paid for it. She, she told me in retrospect that she hadn't. <laughs> she was just trying to get me to go. She, but I went to this, like, studio. We just paid this guy named Sven Tideman, like, $800 to record a couple of songs with me. That happened a couple of times. And then one of the songs ended up being what we entered um, Triple J Unearth High's competition with, and that got chosen as one of the finalist songs. And And I didn't win it, but, like, that got me the exposure mm. I needed for people to pay attention and also simultaneously like signed with Alberts who are Australia's oldest publishing company. They've just been sold to BMG. Um, but uh, that happened. Alberts like paid attention because my mom, that studio that we initially went to close down, my mom wanted another studio. She contacted Alberts being like, this is my daughter. This is what she does. We just need a space and a producer to like work on something. And then they just listened to the stuff and they were like, let's have a meeting. And then like we met with them and then like six months down the track, signed a publishing deal with them or whatever um, in my school uniform. <laughs> Love it. And uh, did you have a lawyer? Then- my mom did get a lawyer. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. My mom's been very diligent with all that. Yeah. She's a very smart woman. She she was managing me the whole entire time. Okay. I, I'm now managed by different people. It didn't work. Like, we, uh, I'm like, especially at that time, I was her biggest antagonist. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, we just don't have a great deal in common. She always wanted me to be a very feminine girl and I just didn't end up being a very feminine girl and, and we don't have, again, similar interests and stuff like that. And I'm... Um, so, like, just working in a business capacity was just, like, the worst idea ever. So we finally did get managers, and I'm now managed by a dude called Wonderlick, who are really good, doing really good things for me. Tell me about being a not very feminine girl. Ah, uh, yes. Well, my mom, like, my mom always dressed us in pink. She made us do ballet and dancing, and uh, I was actually really into, like, Nikki Webster and Delta Goodrum and, and Kelly Clarkson and, like, heaps of, like, really sort of, like – womanly like pop artists as a kid um and we played with barbies and brat brat stalls and stuff my sister and i but i always just had like a a, you know as you would say like tomboy streak to me um i don't know why these things happen (laughs) but maybe it was my dad's influence i don't know my dad's always been like the sort of wisecracker in our family like he makes a lot of really dumb jokes and he's very athletic and like again they always encourage us to do sport i think i just like enjoyed things that are stereotypically seen as masculine sort of thing. And I just became um, that kind of person in, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm more masculine than feminine. I think it balances itself out pretty well in such a way that I think makes me almost like, almost non-binary. Like some days I just don't feel like either. A lot of days I don't feel like either. I just like... I, the way I present is biased towards like a more femme thing, but um, I do prefer to, I don't know, wear pants in combat, dock boots kind of things over dresses and skirts. Like I will wear those if it serves a purpose, um, like theatricality or whatever. But um, yeah, I've just always been more into sport and video games and and music that, I mean, I'm I'm into a lot of different kinds of music. My t- taste is very diverse, um, but how does yeah. the how does the I only know what the world feels like to be a white straight mm. middle class <laughs> dude, right? Yeah. Okay. 
I have in my life a beautiful 12-year-old girl who is the daughter of my fiance mm. and I, I'm one of four brothers. I only ever knew right. – I went to an all-boys school. There's all I knew, totally. right? All yeah. I knew until I left school. Yeah. And then through the various women I've lived with in my life, um, I've come to know more and more and more and more. And all I can do is just try and you know see what the world looks like. But now as I see the world and how it appears to – there's, I mean, if she comes home while you're still here, you're, she's taller than you. But she's 12. <laughs> she's stunning. Awesome. And I see the way the world is to her. But she's, even at 12, she's a very feminine-looking yeah. kind of girl. Yeah. What do you notice the world treat you differently when you do wear the combat boots and, and um, the jeans and stuff than the skirts and stuff? Um. I guess. I Well, I think what's most important is that I see myself differently when I wear all these things. Like when I wear a skirt, it's like when I had long hair, it just felt wrong. It just didn't feel like me. And I think once I cut off all the hair and because I had long, like frizzy, curly hair, like South American hair, <laughs> and when I cut it off, I was just like, this is correct. And then when I stopped wearing skirts and dresses that much I was like this is also correct this is how I identify and this feels right I think once when I did wear those things or had long hair like I I was more shy I wasn't that confident socially I wasn't as uh I didn't have as good a sense of humor outwardly I wasn't good at at um expressing it and I didn't there were just like all these things, you know, it's not necessarily things that people can perceive, but it's just the way you feel when you're out in public and stuff like that. And I think once I started to figure out what I am physically, the inside of me started to click a little bit more and I felt more balanced and correct. And I think that then enables you to become a person for other people, you know, and like once that happened, socially, yeah, again, I improved and I... Um, yeah, I just, I get things I need to do done quick, more quickly. Cause I'm not like thinking about all of the inner neuroses that are plaguing me. I'm just thinking about what it is that needs to be done. And, um, yeah, so I guess like the world, I also see that, you know, I mean, it, it definitely depends on the personality be behind the outfit or the physical appearance, you know, like if, like I know people who, bloody look like fairies when they dress up like they're beautiful and they you know they really enjoy like sparkly makeup and like dyeing their hair pink and like all that but like people still treat those kinds of people with like respect and deference if they are you know kind and compassionate and have a good sense of humor and can uh, just aren't sort of like don't don't seem like the kind of person that can be trampled on you know and I felt like the kind of person that could be trampled on or more of a pushover like I told you I like mm. to be liked by everyone now I still like to be liked by everyone but I won't be trampled on anymore you know do you remember the day where you went that's it cutting the hair <laughs> I actually so what happened was I was like a massive hippie when I was 17 and 18 and started to try and grow dreadlocks white person trying to grow dreadlocks and it wasn't like I wasn't aware of like the racial cultural connotations of them I just saw it as a way of like transcending my physical body because I didn't like my physical body and I wanted to focus on the inner I wanted to meditate and I wanted people to see and I wanted to believe myself that like the only thing that's important is the person or the soul or the spirit within you and so I saw like growing dreads as like 
a journey towards achieving that sort of like fulfillment or something like that and not realizing that it does take a balance between the outward and the inward to actually find sort of like consummate wholeness and uh and um i mean oh jesus where where was i what was you were telling me about the day you cut your hair oh yeah so what happened was one day i was like this is too difficult like the dreads it wasn't working (laughs) just wasn't working and also my parents that was a very tense year between my parents and I like I was going through a lot especially with the HSC and my mom was very angry at the state of my hair she wasn't aware I was growing dreads it just looked awful and she was like you need to cut your hair and that's not the reason why I did like she was telling me and so I I I staunchly did not go and cut my hair because she was telling me not to cut my hair but then like a few months later I was like okay, this needs to be salvaged and the only way to do that is to take all of it off and I'm ready to make the plunge. And then when I did, it looked great. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and I was also, like I said, just felt more like me. Like I never knew what to do with my hair. I never knew how to dress. And then finally when I cut my hair, I knew exactly, not exactly, like I've still struggled up to like eight months ago, but like... I I had a better idea of the way I was because my physical expression met my inner and it just felt correct. Your physical expression, you say, I mean, that you you didn't enjoy dancing mm. and you didn't enjoy that kind of stuff, but you can tell by your music videos that you are yeah. you are quite good at it, even well, though you okay, like to listen, say you're not into listen. it. The thing is, I don't not enjoy da- dancing. I just, I... Um, I'm not like my kind of dancing is like the stop making sense David Byrne kind of like geeky dork core dancing where it's like kind of choreographed but it's really it looks really asexual. <laughs> like that's who I am as a person as well. I'm a fairly asexual person and I like I sort of just I fidget. That's my dancing. I'm a fidgety person. I just like move with my energy rather than think about actual coordination. <laughs> So I see, um, I don't know, yeah, all those music videos, none of them are, like, choreographed. It's just, like, bleh. I just fucked around for a while until until we were like, okay, that's enough takes, let's go. Okay. Yeah. But you say, I mean, you say you, say you are a very asexual person. Some of the, some of the visuals, though, are most definitely... Well, in fact, we actually had this um, discussion before you went into it, especially the one for In the Dark, which is like that one with the gold bloodbath and, and skeleton thing. And we, my management was concerned because they were like, oh, you won't be wearing that much clothing. Like your thing isn't the whole raunchy thing, raunchy sexy thing. Like what if it's too much like that? And I was like, hey, guys, listen, I don't want it to be like that either. I want it to just be like a beautiful sort of confronting artistic thing and then when we finally saw the costume and like got I send them a shot of it I I tried it on the day before the shoot was in Melbourne send them a picture and um they were like oh great like it looks it looks right and I thought so as well like I don't think I can see how it could be interpreted as sexy because there's not much clothing happening (laughs) um but uh, the point more, I think, was, like, vulnerability. And it is a bit scary, the whole thing. Like, I vomit gold and and I make crazy faces and it's very erratic and the song's very um, 
almost alarming. And so with that one, like I'm, I think um, there's always an element of sex because that's just what people like. Like not everyone's like me. That's the majority like that stuff. So I, I mean, this is what I was trying to convince myself wasn't true as a 17, 18 year old that like superficial aspects of life and the superficial attractions we have aren't important, but really they are like we're slaves to them. That's just the way it is. We need to eat. We need exactly. to sleep. Exactly. We need to have sex. It's exactly. what we do. Precisely. We follow our desires. Like we, yeah. we're built biologically to have desires in order to function yeah, as yeah. a race. And now it just gets filtered into the context of Western society. Yeah. And as much as I don't like it and as much as I don't want to be true, I now have only recently sort of um, submitted myself to the game. I'm like, no, nah, I'm willing to play the game now. I'm going to do it. Because um, it is a lot of pressure. I mean, I, as you know, I've worked in music. I've yeah. worked in music for a long time, and it was rare. Rare would be a large word to use for the amount of female artists who are in the pop yeah. genre, or shit, any genre really. Yeah. That aren't in a skin tight to something, not have sex or appeal. aren't you know holding a guitar or you know, being told by a video director to, no, no, really, like, really fucked the guitar or yeah, whatever, you totally. know, like, yeah. it, it's really rare, that, that sort of thing, um, which is why, I mean, um, like I said, I'm twice your age, so when Missy Elliott comes out in the Hype Williams video and she's in that massive blow-up suit, yeah. so she's just a face and hands, yeah. you know, that shit is awesome because yeah. she's completely taking all sexuality out of it yeah. and it's just this is an incredible beat and incredible yeah. rhymes. Yet there is so much pressure on a female artist. Totally. I have many musician friends who like like I because I come from like that hippie world view where it's like you know, that's not the most important thing. I think I feel like my values and, and my priorities again are like in the right place where it's like about love and family and friends and taking care of people and that kind of thing. But like I have a, I know a lot of people who as opposed to me, like I will put a photo of me on Snapchat or Instagram that's like a double chin photo or me without makeup or something that looks terrible. Like I won't care too much. Like I do I do um prune a little bit because again, gotta play the game. But like especially in Snapchat, generally don't care. But I have friends who say to me, like, how can you do that? Like young women around my age and you know, with the same talent and capabilities and potential and things going for them and like they're just like, I'm too scared. Like I don't you know, I don't want to do that. It's too confronting. People will judge me, like people won't like me anymore, blah blah blah. And it's yeah, it's really terrifying. Like I still have like my fair share of body image issues. Everyone does. Mine are much smaller than everyone else's, I think. I'm now like at a place where I'm like again, I I um know that I'm more than just like what I look like or what people think of me. But uh yeah, it's it's hard for women in this industry. Like I think there's now with all the talent that's coming up, especially in Australia, because there's so much female talent that's happening that is just so great and beautiful. But um, now that people are seeing that, you know, I mean, people have seen past, but, you know, the, the there's true creative genius happening um, from women. People are not necessarily seeing the image as the like primary function for women, I think, which is good. Um, 
I mean, it's still a necessary component and it is for everyone, men and women and anyone in between. But, um, yeah, hopefully, I'm hoping that the um, sort of requirement for women to be conventionally, like, sexy or attractive is sort of diminishing as as time goes by and, like, more artists get happening. I think the the thing visually, in as far as we're talking, like to talk about music videos for a second. Yeah. What you have, and a, a, a glance at your, your your Instagram or anything would um, show the same thing. And I, I noticed this, like in the last maybe the last maybe two years, mm. there's just this homogeny of yeah look. Yep. Whether it be brunette or blonde, it's almost as if they could all be the same girl. Mm. And it's this, it's, it's, I don't even know how to say it. It's, it's almost like um, a Stratocaster is a beautiful guitar and yet there's a million like it. Yeah. All right. It's, this, it's like it's the, same, it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it might have been special at a time before everyone had access to this particular kind of camera that you can take everywhere with this particular editing software and this particular set of guidelines in order to take the best version of yourself in a mirror. But it's become less exciting if you know know what I mean. And and I, I see the pressure that Gigi puts on herself when she takes a selfie, mm. she's 12 and yeah, she'll take 40 shots. It's crazy. Like you're I fucking actually had this conversation with yesterday. 12, be 12. Be yeah. a fucking kid. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, and, but, but what I'm saying is like what, what you have visually is very so different that it's that it, even though you say you were over and you are playing the game, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to play very hard because yeah. what you already have is so different see, already. See, what I mean is like... Um, yeah, what I have is different and I think it's just, it's just a product of, of my upbringing, my circumstances, my interests, my interests are all like very eclectic. I'm a video game nerd and I'm a fantasy nerd and I'm like, you know, I think above average intelligence and I'm also sporty and I also enjoy comedy and I have a diverse taste in music and I'm willing to entertain both feminine and masculine forms and all these things kind of just combine to make like this thing that's like quite, you know, um, bespoke, you know, that's just, I'm, I'm the only me, you know, um, which everyone is, everyone's the only themselves. But, uh, I think like, I don't try particularly hard on Instagram to like craft an image. I just put whatever me is, I just put whatever I want on there apart from the things that are like I have to announce like tour or music video or blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. apart from that stuff, it's just the stuff I like or the stuff that's happening in my life or a picture of me or whatever or of whoever. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not – I don't hide anything, you know. I think a lot of people are afraid to just lay themselves out there in the public and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Like I think it's very – Pragmatic. <laughs> there's an expectation of you as a public yeah. figure now. You've put yourself where you have come, who, who, you know, the decision to put a song into um, a national radio station's yeah. songwriting uh, competition yeah. and performance competition. That is a, I'm putting my hand up to be 
now recognisable person. Yeah. It's, a, it's a contract you sign with society. I've signed yeah. it myself. Yeah. Um, I, I'm now out there. Yeah. The choice to not do that. Yeah. Like, could you imagine if you met someone, you say, hey, what's your Instagram? They say, I don't have one. Yeah. You'd think, fuck, what? Yeah. You know, you wouldn't know what to do. The idea that some that that people don't want to put themselves out there, I think I, I'm actually kind of into. Uh, no, totally. To, to be honest. I'm when- totally an exhibitionist. <laughs> like, I'm like, literally, I have... If I weren't vetted by – like if I were not stopped by the people in my life from just telling everyone about everything in my life, I would absolutely do it. I have no like limits. It's crazy. What do you get out of that? What do you get out of being um, so open? I don't know. Honestly, I think it's because like my parents, they always used to teach us like family secrets stays family secrets or like this and that stays – like stay to yourself. Like you got to protect the people around you, blah, blah, blah. You got to protect yourself or, you know, craft this perfect image of yourself in society. That's what you do. And again, I think me – I'm just like an antagonist to my family and everything they've ever told me except for like the nice things. <laughs> I'm just like – just gone against you know weirdly enough not in a conscious way but like in terms of the openness like that's just something I've had forever like I've always just told everyone everything the other day I bloody went I actually went on a date yesterday or a suit it wasn't really a date I was hoping it would be but you're hoping it would it was it was a confusing situation the issue was initially this person wasn't to me um and then found out my age and they were like there's too much of an age difference but like I didn't know that before we went on this coffee. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. But basically, so afterwards, I didn't know if it was a date or not because I didn't feel flirty and... I was going straight to like Sony Interactive to test out their virtual reality thing straight after this date. And the dude there who is facilitating all of it, I just met and like immediately launched into like my life story about like how I met this guy and I was with a friend and like I met this guy and, blah, 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 and it like just dumped it all on him, told him everything about my life. And he was just like, wow, okay, cool, funny. And like, but yeah. I just do that. Like I can't yeah. help it. I'm quite an effusive person and it just happens. And that's why my song my songs are all very honest. My songs are all autobiographical and I say everything. And my Instagram is exactly the same and all my socials are exactly what the same. What does that bring you out of relationships that you have with people if it isn't the, the confused Sony man yeah. standing there with a pair of goggles? Well, it, it to be honest, it means that because I'm so transparent and I don't um, – keep any secrets of my own but I'm pretty good at keeping other people's secrets like I don't I don't I'm not too you know I know where the line is drawn kind of thing I'm not secretive about myself and so people trust me and people feel free to be quite open with me and so you get it it back yeah totally I think I mean it depends on the person yeah but 
it, it, when you meet the right person, if you are open with them, they will absolutely reciprocate it. And it's really nice. I don't have that much conflict in my relationships. Like I, I get on well with most everyone. And again, people trust me. People know what I'm all about. Like there's no secret to me really. I mean that I've told all of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it, do, you, do you feel it brings an authenticity into totally. your life? Yeah. yeah, totally. Like it's just, uh, you know. But I don't, you would demand that then of also your professional relationships. I'm absolutely, assuming. Yeah. absolutely. I. It's funny actually because in the music industry, the music industry is full of artists and creatives who don't exactly understand what punctuality means they uh you know their heads are always in the clouds so like they're always thinking of something great and creative you were five minutes early yeah i (laughs) i'm very i get up at 6 a.m i grind out what i have to do i write songs almost constantly but like i schedule everything i regiment in my life entirely i don't drink i don't smoke i don't take any drugs i'm vegan i sleep i try to get at least eight hours of sleep when i go out like you know, I just, I'm a bit of an anomaly in the music industry because I am, uh, like my parents taught me to have good work ethic and and I believe in that and I believe in being open and working hard when people are depending on you to get something done. So it's a bit frustrating sometimes because everyone in the music industry, like everything takes ages. Everything, like when once you've replied to an email, they won't get back to you for like another like two to seven days <laughs> and it's just like the worst because I'm always like, Ah, tell me now but um it's but it's good because people then again like they know you'll get the job done and they trust you did you have a dream i did so what happened was um my my parents again i like i was raised catholic and my dad was an athlete and my mom had like rebellious teen years and so when they raised us it was like sex is bad alcohol is bad drugs are bad all these things are bad. Don't do any of these things. So when I was like, I now have that ingrained in me and I'm not necessarily anymore like all these things are bad. I think they're all okay in moderation. If Yeah. But I, when I turned 18, I didn't like have a drink on my 18th birthday and I didn't actually, did I? Maybe I did actually. I remember basically uh, when I turned 18, I was at university and I had friends there and um, I drank and I was also just starting to get in the music industry, like toured with San Francisco and Megan Washington and stuff like that and was having like a few drinks, never got smashed. didn't enjoy that, but, um, did have a few drinks, knew what it was to be drunk. But at the end of like six months, I was just like, I hate this. Wow. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> and you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah, so, it took no, me, it took me. I heard, I heard your podcast. Yeah. It took me yeah. a long time to figure that part out. Yeah. No, I was, yeah, you're really lucky. I, I was, envy you. yeah, it was, just, I mean, I already had the prejudice against it. It was, yeah. you know, already entrenched in me, but, but like, it's, it must be like, I, I at least knew what it was to be in the industry and yeah. see what it was to be in the industry that is run on beer. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Some uh, people get fucking paid in alcohol. Yeah. 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 I remember playing gigs for that yeah. as a roadie. Yeah, absolutely. When I was a roadie. Um, do you feel, find it weird to be, there's a lot of, when you are a signed artist, mm. I'll, you won't use the term, but I'll say it. <laughs> there's a lot of shake and fake. You got to turn up, you got to smile, you got to meet a lot of people. Oh, no, no. I tell it. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's, and, alcohol conveniently can lubricate that situation and make it easier. Now, for someone who's said 20 minutes ago, you used to be very shy and very nervous around people you hadn't met yet. Yep. 
suddenly you're in a room mm. full of people yeah. who you don't know. Yeah. They're all drinking loud, probably three or four drinks in. They're at that point where they just start talking about yelling you out for ping. And then they go, yeah. you, the, you told me that two minutes ago. Yeah. And then they start repeating yeah. themselves. Do you find it difficult? No. Wow. I don't find it difficult anymore. I have to get the fuck out of there. I'm very socially apt. I mean, like, I don't love it, especially if they are all drunk and crazy. That's why Splendor for me is a bit of a struggle because I, I love playing festivals. Mm. But um, there are a series of factors which make multi-day festivals unpleasant for me. One, I talk heaps and everyone you know is there so you never get a break. Mm. <laughs> and it, I get headaches if I talk too much. Like, I, it, it just takes it out of me. Yeah. My blood sugar descends into the pits of hell and then I feel like collapsing somewhere but you can't get away. Secondly, yes, a lot of people are drunk. It's hard to have a real conversation with anyone. Thirdly, everyone there, not everyone, but there are quite a few people who, who are there for the glamour and the, 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 there are famous people around here Thankfully, and I want to ingratiate those, those myself people, to- Those people will have a certain level of accreditation so they're fairly easy totally, to spot. Totally, <laughs> totally, you're right. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> but but it, it's just like, it it's, uh, I just find it all very draining because uh, it just feels, it's just all very artificial. That's why you got to hustle for that uh, artist camping right behind that stage. Totally. Well, no, so we stayed off site, which is very uh, nice. See, yeah. that's nice, but yeah. then you don't have the option of, you know what, I just need half an hour. <laughs> back to my room, back yeah. to my bed. I can still hear the in the you know True. through all the walls. So read my book for about twenty minutes. Just be Fun. alone for a second. Put my gun boots back on. Get back out there. Feel way better. See what I ended up doing on the first two days because I only arrived late on the Friday night. Mm. Checked out a couple of gigs. Fucked off. And then the Isn't next it wild day, when you turn up and it's just like on. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Wow, I really have to catch up with everyone because I'm in a completely different vibe. Yeah, no right. <laughs> and then the second day, it was like I had a panel from ten to eleven, and then straight to the dressing room to get changed and then my performance from 12.30 to 1.15 and then straight after that promo for seven hours. So that was fine. I actually really enjoy promo and interviews and stuff like that. I enjoy talking about myself. It forced me to reflect on what I actually believe and see if it's actually legit. And then the next day I had nothing. So uh-huh. I could just rock up and do whatever and that was torture. Oh, right. <laughs> but I did find this like they have a wellness center backstage and they have couches there and no one goes there and there's free toast and I just laid down on the couch for like half an hour to an hour. It was beautiful. They also do massages you can book in. I did like that for like 20 minutes and even the Triple J tent because they're all working in there. Sitting on the couch there and no one knows, no one knows that you're there. No. I mean, the Triple J guys might approach like Zan, oh no, Jerry from there came up to me and was like, hey, you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I'm just chilling. She's like, oh, okay, cool. I was just checking. I just wanted to see if you were right. I was like, yeah, cool. And then she went yeah. and did her thing and then I just like hung out. Do like, you still journal? journal? Yeah. Yeah. Not as – I feel like I'm trying to be more regular with it. Yeah. I haven't been. There was like a year period where I wasn't journaling but I was writing a lot of songs to be fair. So I – It was getting out of you. Yeah. It's funny because like I didn't have a year – documented in definite terms but I had it documented in abstract poetry <laughs> or like in, in vague terms which is cool I think but I'd also I wish I'd had that I, I wish I'd just set aside that time for reflection for myself but now I'm trying like now my life is like there's a great deal of stability and and there's not too much drama happening and it's in those times when it's hardest to write because there's just nothing happening. You're like 
today it was sunny. I was happy. <laughs> like, but I think there's importance to, like, are important to document as well. I'm realizing because, like, you have to remember that there were really good moments in your life, and like, like when when I journal, when I write songs, I write all about the tragic and bad shit, you know. And then you forget that there was ever a time when things were good, you know. And things are really good now. So I'm like, I needed, I need to write about this. Otherwise, mm. I'm just, I'm gonna look back in my time and be like. Oh man, my life was just a constant, like shithole. <laughs> what do you not. What do you get out of journaling when you do it? What's the process like? Do you feel um, better when you're done? I feel like I've improved myself in a way. You know, I feel like it's just very. It's like meditation for me in that, like, I don't have any music on. I just think about what's happened to me, how I feel about it, very focused on myself, and try to analyze it and. And try to be totally honest, even if it's like, even if what I want to say is like something I wouldn't approve of in myself, but I'm instinctually feeling, I'll say that I'll be like, I hate that this is what I'm currently feeling or that this is the reaction which society has inculcated me to um, have. But this is the way it is. And from this point, I now need to readjust my attitude so that, you know, it's different. And so that next time I go through this, I will do it much better. But that's also, (laughs) though, that is a massive step to recognize the split within you and the observed you Mm. and that both of you were in there at the same time. That takes some people never get that. Some people never get, I'm angry. No. Yeah. I'm me. Yeah. I just happen to be feeling angry. Exactly. Precisely. They're two very, very different things. And yeah. I can change my mind about feeling angry. Yeah. That's 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 the that's the one. When you get that, totally. it took me a long time <laughs> to get that. It took me a long fucking time to get that. Yeah. But I've, that you know that is huge. I feel like um I mean, I can't exactly say if it was, it's like a genetic thing or if I just trained myself well as a hippie 17-year-old who was really into like Eckhart Tolle and like and and Rumi and like all that thing. Maybe that helped out. Oh, you drank um, at that well, man. <laughs> you drank at the well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. There like, is only the observed. <laughs> the observed and the observer. Yeah. Boing. Yeah. <laughs> I have listened to like half of that ebook. It's great. He's his pretty voice, wild. His Eckhart's voice, wild. I know his voice as well. It's just like well, Jesus. Yeah. How can someone? Eckhart's wild and Rumi's amazing. Yeah, I haven't Rumi's... investigated Rumi heaps, but I definitely had like a Tumblr where like it was. I just followed heaps of really like Eastern like spirituality blogs yeah. and like all that stuff. You and... read some of those Rumi R U M Y R U M I if anyone's listening. Yeah. Um, if you, you you read a couple of stanzas of Rumi and you're like. You know, I heard it described the other day. It's like if I were to ever try and write something, it would be essentially trying to, you know, finger paint in dirt. Yeah. You know, versus what this guy's able to yeah, do with words. Totally. And that it was, I don't know how many hundreds of years old, thousands yeah. of years old. Yeah. It's just. It's crazy. Extraordinary. But yeah, I feel, I feel like that probably developed an emotional maturity in me. And I yeah. think. I mean, I think to an extent that kind of thing or the disposition to be able to learn that is genetic, but I did do a lot of work on myself, like as a 17, I I was a bit of a dickhead when I was 15, 20, 16. And I think at the end of that year, I was just like, this has to change. Like, what did you notice was a problem then that you made? I just became like very slovenly and wasn't paying attention to school and was like 
passive aggressively bullying like one of my best friends. Like I was just choose there was like four of us in a group, including myself, and I was really close to one. The other two were like we were all close, but she, the other one was my best friend. And one of the other ones like she's um she really come into her own now, but she was like quite vulnerable and small figure and and um got sick really easily into like and was like nervous about school, didn't do that well at school and stuff like that. And we kind of just like picked on her, which is so awful. The next year I be- she became one of my best friends. <laughs> but um yeah, I definitely had to make a bit of a a, a turnaround. Um So where did you where did you look? Because again, not many people get that. Yeah. I became very similar in high school. I I just suddenly had no friends and I didn't understand why. Because yeah. I was the being thing, a fucking horrible is, person. I was still good mates with everyone. Like I was the kind of person that like everyone liked and um and but I had this like group of four friends. Um like I wasn't extremely mean. I was never like a full on bully and I didn't recognize in myself that that's what we were doing to her, you know, like we were, uh, yeah, it was silly, but like uh, apart from that, like generally okay as a person. Um, so it wasn't, but I you was, noticed like, that there was, was something in you yeah, that you something. could, that wasn't serving you. But, so basically what, what happened was what sort of prompted a massive turnaround was that year was the year I had my first crush on a girl and um and it was confusing and and awful and the girl was my best friend so i kept it from her but told everyone else in the group and then got jealous of another girl and my parents like didn't i tried to tell um my mom and she wasn't exactly approving of it uh it she's like that was my mom back then. My mom now is just like a perfect angel. <laughs> my mom has – my mom – my parents are both very impressive. Like they're now 45 and they're from omnivorous, like hectic South Americans. They're now vegan and like my dad's you into Eckhart Tolle. You turned an Argentinian vegan? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, my dad's now also into Eckhart Tolle and all those wow. things. Like he, my dad's big like new age hippie now as well. Same wow. with my mom. So really proud of them. But back then my mom – um like I told her and she was like, you need to get over it. Like you've liked boys since you were in third grade. I'm not, I'm not into this. So I was like, okay, good. And it stopped trusting her from then. And it's been like a journey trying to rebuild that trust, but it's, it's there, you know, we're there now, I think. But that year I was just like really troubled by that. And, um, well, it can be confronting, as you said before, you know, this reaction I'm having is a reaction that society has kind of put upon me. It might not even be my pain that I'm experiencing, yeah. but it is still pain. It feels weird. I've got to Precisely. sort this shit out. But um, I tore the group apart because what happened was there was this other girl who wasn't like necessarily like she didn't sit with us at lunchtime, but she was like close to us. She was kind of like she was basically part of the group, but outside of like lunchtimes mm. at school. And like I went on a two-week music tour with my school overseas to like Germany, Austria, Hungary and didn't see uh, my best friend for those two weeks and talked to her but like didn't see her much and then apparently she'd hung out with this other girl and then like they got close and I got really jealous not just as a best friend but as like a crush thing even though there's nothing between us uh, between them and they were totally straight and everything I was I just like couldn't handle it it was just like festering inside me and and I told the others and like at the end like 
um, my best friend and the other girl, they just hated me. Like they, mm. I, I, I don't remember exactly what I did, but I must have done many various things that just led to this antipathy and like the group completely split up and I got really close to the one I was saying um, I picked on and mm. then and then the other two, like they just broke off. I didn't talk to her for ages. I did tell her why really I was acting the way I was at some point, but she was just like, whatever, like I don't want to know and – um, because of that, because that group that I had that was so close to in year 10 was gone, like the next year I was like, okay, well, who do I hang out with that mm. now? Like I had a heap of – my whole grade was like had my acquaintance, but I wasn't close to anyone. Yeah. And I've lo- like I'd lost a lot of best friends just from like drifting apart or like other them getting close to other people like almost every year in my high school lineage. So I was just like, no, nope, yeah. I'm going to be a recluse. I'm not going to hang out with anyone. I'm going to study really hard. I'm going to be a nerd. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. and study until 5 a.m. And then I'll get ready for school and go for a walk and be into all the spiritual stuff. And then I'll sleep at 8 p.m. And that'll be my life. And I'll just do school. And that's it. And that's what you did? Basically did that. I sat with a group at lunchtime, but I was never really like they it's were. It's a pretty all, monastic existence yeah, for a teenager. Absolutely, absolutely. I got hectically. Um, that's what the year I started going vegan as well. What happened was like for Lent, I decided to give up meat and then just really enjoyed not eating meat, and then yeah. just did more research. And because I'm a big environmental freak and want to save the planet, I was like, you know what? I've already gone halfway. I'm just going to go full vegan, and then worked on that, and I just became that person. And I wasn't like antisocial I just tried I took all of the messages of Eckhart Tolle and all these spiritual teachers too far and you know the whole detachment thing I just totally detached myself from everyone not in a not even in a spiritual way just in a I'm not going to get close to anyone kind of way I'm not going to like let myself um be like when you're in love with someone who doesn't reciprocate it you feel those really really powerful feelings of love and attraction and but if they don't feel it back then it's painful you know and oh, i didn't pain want... in small word i would use, yeah, yeah, I, think, I would use the word yeah. ache yeah it's like <laughs> agonizing yeah. and um and i didn't want to feel that anymore so i was yeah. like i'm not going to get close to anyone anymore and i was kind of close to some people but problems o- only so far <laughs> yeah. um, they, there was still an arm's length kind of thing but it just didn't work and yeah. i i suffered like i didn't see it in myself i was too busy being like you know, I, like I want to be kind and there for everyone, but I wasn't looking out for myself. And uh, also like just facing like family problems and the body image issues and all this stuff, yeah. all that, all that just came like my HSC was, I did well in the end, but like I was shattered by the end of it and I was glad for it to end and, it was funny, actually, six weeks out of graduating, I found the people that were actually my people and that I really enjoyed hanging out with. Part of the problem with me in high school was just I didn't really know who my gang was, you know? Mm. Like, I didn't know who my my peeps were, and then I finally found them. And they were there the whole time. I just didn't really ever take it seriously. Like, there was this one particular girl who I ended up having a crush on it as well, actually, after my best friend crushed. I got over that the next year was this other girl and like I'd talk to her a lot online but very rarely like in person at school um, because we were two of the only people we knew there who sort of thought the same way and wrote about the same things and she's a 
she writes stories and she's a journalist and loves writing and I loved writing songs and we shared playlists and stuff like that. It was like it was a pretty romantic friendship mm. I felt. But like she just never felt the same way. But um it's fine. And now like she's one of my best friends and still goes on. But like right towards the end of school that's when I found those people and then things started to move upwards again. Well, I'm glad because like, you, you can't go to that, that yeah. kind of stuff for too long. Exactly. You start, um, you start feeling really let down by the world for a while. But yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. So I feel like a huge part of the crisis was that I just felt alienated by yeah. everyone and was trying to fight that by convincing myself that it's just because, like, we all move alone in the world but, like, you know, if we radiate love and, like, just remove attachment from that kind of necessity Basically what I wanted to do was become like Chris McCandless in Into the Wild. I don't know if you've read that. that John Krakow is the author. There was a movie made um, of it. That's the bloke who goes in, in the bus? Yeah. Yeah. He, the, the college kid who decides that the corporate academic life isn't for him and he's going to go and uh, like – Live off the land. Exactly. Yeah. And then he's a fool because obviously you need people to live and you can't just have rice and shoot game in Alaska by yourself to survive. And, yeah, so I kind of was heading in that direction but was not that extreme, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. And, then, and then once I hit university, I was like, I understand now. Like, this is my place. <laughs> yeah. I was like, there are people. I think, yeah, there was just a bit of dissonance between me and the culture of my school because I went to private Catholic girls' yeah. school. I went to private Catholic boys' school. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, it was weird. And that, those places are just crazy. Well, for some people, they're awesome. Yeah, exactly. It, it suits wasn't, some people. It wasn't just, great for me. Yeah, exactly. What did you study at university? Uh, I did for one semester. I did a Bachelor of Arts at Sydney Uni. started with um, linguistics, French, German and philosophy. After a few weeks, dropped down to just linguistics and French. And then next semester, because I didn't really like the French unit and I couldn't start any other language because um, the beginner's unit had passed. And the first semester, I changed to a Bachelor of Arts in film studies and linguistics, thinking that, like, oh, I'll do film studies. It'll make me watch more films because I don't watch much TV or film. Mm. And last for like four weeks and then music was kind of like the thing I did all the time. I was just like, ah, oh, I'm just going to defer. And then from deferral I dropped out. That's it. Yeah, I, I went six weeks part-time. Yeah. It was too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, was... I just didn't – I loved it for the social scene. Yeah. And I made so many good friends and I got really into like the theatre sports and the dramatic aspect of – of the university, but the academic, I just didn't really care that much. Well, you're an autodidact. You taught yourself so many things. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, for someone to get up at three in the morning to study shit that isn't schoolwork, <laughs> that's pretty... Oh, no, that shit was schoolwork. That was So, like, work? three okay. to five was, like, schoolwork. And then, like, from six to 6.30, I'd, like, go for, like, a morning walk around my quiet suburb and just, Lovely. like, you know, contemplate your parents never worried about their daughter that was getting up oh, at three in the morning? Oh, they were so worried. Right. My parents, the whole, like I said, like there were many problems between my parents at that time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you're a teenager. You're not going to bloody listen to your parents. No. <laughs> no, no that's, that's all coming. Yeah. Uh, Gigi's 12 and it's on the way. I yeah, know it's I, on the way. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's coming. I turned up when she was 10. She's grown about a foot and a half since I've known Jesus, her. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And she's gone I, from Disney princesses to Teen Wolf. 
Jesus, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's. I it fear was... parenting. I don't ever want children at this point. Like, I'm saying this now. Like, I don't want children. I don't particularly want to get married either. But, like, I know heaps of people have said, oh, trust me, there's like, there's like a hormone one day that just starts to kick in. You'll yeah. get the baby vibe. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, I don't want it though. I watched it happen to a friend of mine. What I would say for having been married um, and it not work out yeah. and having now going to get married again, yeah. it's like, and you would know that what this relationship's like, someone who writes a song and yeah. then you meet just the producer that you go, ah, you just brought everything that I couldn't think of yeah. that I, even with all the smartest things I can think of, I could never have added those things to this. We're now doing it together and now it's one plus one equals four. Yeah. That's what it's like if you get it right. That's a great analogy. That's what it's like because they f- they don't just fill in the blanks. Yeah. They don't make you whole. If it's them to try and make you whole, then you're in a not good space. Mm. If what they do is amplify what you do yeah. and if you amplify what they do, yeah. the two of you become this force that is more powerful than just each of you yeah. by yourself or each of you combined. A power couple as they call it. Well, <laughs> no, it's not even that. <laughs> no? It's like. Yeah, no, I know what you mean fundamentally. Yeah, yeah it's like. The way that Audrey is able to accentuate the, my best thinking yeah. is amazing, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would say is there for you if you, get it, if you get it right. Because I'll say this to you, mm. hot fades. Yeah, oh, totally. No, hot, I hot like fades. I told you, I'm fairly asexual, so that stuff doesn't really Instagram matter to me girls, at all. All those Instagram girls, I see them, I'm like, Hot fades, but you know what lasts forever? Stupid. You know what lasts forever? Mean. But yeah. You know what also else lasts forever? Mm. Kind. Yeah. Kind lasts forever. Yeah. Kind lasts until you're 100. Yeah. But if all you've got is height, yeah. sorry. No. By the time you're shit, 27, yeah. 28. Yeah. It's going to be some 20, 21-year-old who's like way hotter. Actually, it's funny. <laughs> and you're trapped in this fucking Botox filler world. and then Yeah. Anyway, I, what I'm saying is that, and, and, and all I can tell you, but then again, like I've lived a lot of lives already and my experience with parenting is two years old, all right, but I've got a 12-year-old, all right? Yeah. It's the most wonderful, wonderful thing the day that she was just my girlfriend's kid, Yeah. all right? And then one day I woke up and it was like, Oh, shit, all the things I love about Audrey, I see in you. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm kind of just have this love for you that I would jump in front of a bus if it meant that you would be safe. Yeah. And it just happened and I have to protect you and I have to provide for you and I have to work. Mm. And to have that feeling, that sense of it's not about me mm. is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Okay. It's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> I understand, thing. yeah. All right, because I can be a selfish yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. All right, and I have this disease that just wants to make everything always about me. Right. And I have to constantly remind myself it's actually people, everyone in the room isn't actually thinking about you. <laughs> I know you like to think that, but it's not true. Yeah. All right. So that's what I would say right now. Fuck no. Yeah. But when it comes, if it comes... It's fucking amazing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I suppose I just have to wait. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 do your thing that you're doing now because yeah. if it'll be, this, it'll be like the day you 
you went, oh, I've got long hair and that's what I've got. And then, yeah. oh, my God, I have to cut it now. Yeah, totally. It was one day to the next. Yeah. And, that, you know, and that's, when it'll, that's, that's when it'll come. There's one thing that I know, having worked in this business for a while now, um, is that it's not necessarily the people who are the best singers or the best songwriters. Mm. It's the people who are the hardest workers yeah. and the people who make everyone they work with feel great. Yeah. So I've known you for one hour and seven minutes. <laughs> I do get the sense that if you keep on this trajectory of the work and the hard work and clearly your ability to make people feel lovely, I mean, I, I saw a video of you playing at Splendor. I saw what the faces of the crowd would look like. People were very happy. There's not going to be much that will stand in your way. Are you aware of that? <laughs> I kind of am aware of yeah. it. I'm aware of the power I have and use it responsibly. <laughs> and now I've, I want to point out, this is not an arrogant thing to say. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a confident person. I know what I have. And the thing is I think it's backed up by the fact that, yeah, I'm I'm not a mean person and I don't use my talent and and my charisma. I'm, totally, I'm self-aware. That's all it is. Like I'm self-aware and... I, with that self-awareness comes a desire to put what I am aware of into practice in a way that's going to help other people and myself and my family and those things, you know, like my family raised me with good values and values that are, you know, ones of cooperation and harmony and community and compassion. And, you know, that's why I'm vegan. I'm, I'd say a particularly empathetic person and uh, like, I'm not ashamed to recognize the talent in me and um, because of that, yeah, I think I, I will do well. Like I think I've got a good thing going on and I'm not bogged down in in things. People aren't trying to take me down insofar as what I know so far and my, you know, yeah, my management enjoy working with me, my label enjoys working with me and it's all Quite easy because, yeah, I work hard and hopefully I stay on that path. And I don't really have any vices, so I don't, I don't uh, know Shit, what Not even gonna, coffee. <laughs> not even coffee. Yeah, coffee's, the, a, coffee's it for me. That's yeah, the last see, thing. Yeah, the thing about that is I heaps of people are like, so you don't drink coffee? And I'm like, well, no, like, like I just don't really need it. Like I can, yeah. I'm, I get tired, but even my like... 80% energy levels are still like many people's like 100% social capability. Yeah. So um, I, I manage. Yeah. I'm very like the thing is I'm just like very health conscious and I'm very conscious of the way I do things. And I'm the thing as well is I'm very open to being wrong. Like I know that everything I think of myself might even be wrong and I'm willing to listen to people tell me if they have, you know, justification for what they're saying to tell me I'm wrong and to tell me that what I'm doing or who I am is not optimal and I'm willing to change because of that. Like I'm just particularly... What do you get out of that? What would I get out of that? Yeah, what do you get out of when people tell you you're wrong? A better me if they back it up, you know. Like if you... Like it's important to listen to criticism. If someone, you know, I think like the one bad review on my album that's come out so far was just like... The album's too full on. There is like it's like she almost hardly ever puts the brakes on. There's one song that's a ballad, but the rest of it is just like shouting in your ear the whole time. And I'm like, you're totally right. Like I, absolutely. And I know that's as an album, as a work of 
uh, as a unified work of art, it's not the best it could be. I think it's just an album full of good, like good songs, but individually good songs. And it people could... don't listen to albums from front to back anymore. Yeah, that's the thing as well. Exactly. That's why we did that. It's but not like, like you program the record like in the old days. When precisely, you yeah. You write all the pieces of paper and you get on the wall or we used a blackboard. And you go, ah, oh, dang, it's too slow. We're going to have to swap that around. Yeah. like you're building a set list, you know. There it's was, not that. There was an extent, like I do think of an album track list as a set list and I did organise it in a, basically um, as much as I was allowed to, my management did say we should probably put the singles up front. I was like, no, but it flows like this. And they were like, but it's, you know, Jess, it's a different one. Like, yeah, people don't Okay, fine. But like one day I will make that like beautiful, totally cohesive flowing album that makes complete narrative sense from start to finish. But it's just one. But like, copies, limited edition vinyl. Like <laughs> I don't, I see that sort of negative attention and I think, okay, I hear what they're saying. I I consider this and weigh it up against what I do actually have and there is an element of truth there. I won't take it too personally and maybe use it later down the track, but it's not like I'm not going to worry about it, you know. And I do get people even now who so – there's a guy in Snapchat who, like, has me in Snapchat, sends me personal Snapchats of him and his life just doing stuff like, I'm at work right now or whatever. But whenever I come out with a song, it's like, give up, Montaigne. I'm just like – I feel sorry for you because you're projecting your inner insecurities upon me. <laughs> like that's what I see detractors as. Most of the time it's just people who don't have um, the career or the talent that I have and and wish to give input or just to be heard. And, you know, often if you say a negative thing, you will be heard because when you say something mm. negative is, uh, uh, like against something that is popularly appreciated, someone's going to say, no, you're wrong, Bola. And that just, it feeds that person's ego. You know? Yeah, any attention is good attention. But Precisely. The, Which is why I never reply to that stuff. The trick, the trick is seeing critique of you not as an attack yeah. but as an opportunity for getting closer to zero. Yeah. Getting, trying to get that line just a little closer. Yeah. That's it. That's a big fuck, man. I'm serious. You got like, you got 20 years on me. <laughs> took me a long time. It took me a long time to figure this shit out. A well, everyone's part. Everyone's journey is different, you know. Yeah. And like, you, I bet you're very, 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 very grateful and thankful that you are where you are now. Oh, every day. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've got no choice but to be. I'm grateful. All I can think of is is to be grateful for today. Exactly. And that's all I've got. And, yeah. Uh, even just today, I was I. I've been struggling. I had to go off my fucking meds again. So, like, okay. I'm even struggling. It's like since morning I was actually really quite struggling. And Audrey was in my office and Audrey came and sat on my lap and she put her arms around me and she gave me a kiss. She, goes, oh, she said, what's going on? I'm like, your hand's running through the back of my hair, the feeling of you on my lap, mm. the smell of your perfume and your kiss on my lips. That's what's going on. That's nice. Because that's yeah. all I've got. Yeah. I can't control anything else. Totally. And then, and thankfully, now that I'm on these new meds, I mean, even though I did have to go for my meds, that shit now works. It never used to work. Right. Like I couldn't fight against my own brain. My own brain was just too strong and yeah. it couldn't, couldn't bear that. Yeah. So two questions. I've had been rabbiting on at you for so long now. Um, <laughs> two final questions. Um, let me see. Which, which order should I ask them in? What is it that you think you do better than anyone else in the world. Now, I'll tell you mine. Yeah. All right. I like to think it may not be true, but I like to think 
that the thing that I do is I am able to communicate an authentic message directly into people's hearts right. through the work that I do, whether it be on a podcast or a radio or on television. I like to think that when I want to, when I can, when the job calls for it, that's what I can do and I can move people in a certain way. Yeah. That's why I've had an ability to have the jobs that I've had and the career that I've had. Um, everything else that comes with that is like I was born looking the way I look, which probably doesn't hurt. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I work fucking hard. I listen when I'm talked to. I stand in the right place. I know where the lights are. All that shit comes yeah. later. On. But ultimately, that's the when I distill it right down. That's the thing that I do. What would you say is the thing that you do? Um, I think the baseline thing that I do is just being open-hearted. I think it's it's similar to what you do in that it enables authenticity and an authentic message to be passed on to make people feel like they're participating in something that is worthwhile and bigger than themselves and, and everything, you know. Like Montaigne obviously is me, but it's also the message I'm trying to put out and it's a feeling of solidarity in in um, times of trauma and and just adversity and things like that. That, you know, just by being ready to hear other people out and by being ready to give myself as well, I think, and not be afraid of it either. I'm not afraid at all of just telling everyone everything. There's so many things that about me, like good and bad things that I've done that could be revealed and I'm not afraid to really reveal any of it. Like I've, you know, and I think people... A lot of people will see that and won't necessarily take it upon themselves to be like that as well, but it's cathartic for them to see someone else do it. It's like therapy because, you know, they live vicariously through you because you can uh, express and um, I suppose like, okay, so my songs, all very open, all very emotional, all speaking of just like, hardships and and relationships gone wrong and certain experiences which have impacted me in in some um important and poignant way like a lot of people have sent me messages being like thank you so much because this song says everything about the moment I'm in right now and it's so helpful and I just needed it and it's comforting and I feel like you're there for me and it's like the the thing about that is like I obviously don't know that person personally. I have had no idea they existed until they messaged me. And I wrote all those songs for me and I write all my songs for me in order to process and and um, cope with the things I'm going through or understand the things I'm going through better. Or even not even, yeah, sometimes it's just I need to express a feeling, you know. Um, but in my openness with myself and my willingness to put what I'm honestly saying about myself into the public sphere for everyone to see and to feel and experience. Um, like it becomes like as therapeutic for them as for me. And I think that's amazing that I didn't even intend really to, to give people that, but it just happens anyway. And so like it's from, it's almost like a very self-centered thing, but like it becomes a thing for everyone else, you know. It, it, um, 
But yeah, and also like in terms of openness, like I'm open to new ideas. I'm open to criticisms. I'm like you said, an autodidact, and uh, I imagine I feel like I have fairly good neuroplasticity, and I just take on new ideas really well. Like veganism wasn't that hard for me making the conversion. Like it was hard learning the various things that are animals that are in foods and like. It also takes you a while to figure out what you can eat. Exactly. So you don't fall over. It took, it took me a little while. Yeah, totally. Like so many things. <laughs> what do you mean? I just can't eat bread all day? Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but like in terms of actually like giving out meat and stuff like that, I was like, no, I'm fine. Um, and that comes from someone who I tell you like I love eating. I love cooking and I ate like I was the person who at a dinner would like be done with my plate and then someone else would be done but not finished and be like, you want me to eat that? I'll I'll do it. And like I would do that with like four other people, you know, like I ate everything and heaps of like meat and yeah. dairy. But I it had, just I had happened. more than enough. People ask me, don't you miss it? I'm like, don't worry, I had my fill. Yeah, I had my fill. Totally, exactly. Okay, so final question. What yeah. makes you what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Um what does make me happy? Well, uh, the biggest one is probably uh, being in harmony with my family because <laughs> there was quite a long time where my sister's my best friend, so she's always been there. She makes me very happy. Um, but there was quite a long time where my parents and I just just didn't see eye to eye in a big way and that just, it was hard. Like that was my whole last year basically. Um, and, and, uh, now that I do experience harmony with them, I'm like, wow, like this is, this is what it feels like. Like right now, this point in my life, these past few months have been probably like the maximum point I will ever reach in happiness. Not to say like, it's just a downward spiral from here, but I mean, like, I don't think there's like a level of contentment beyond this now, you know? And I think, uh, you know, just having, having a good relationship with your family is really important. That's definitely made me not just not happy in a, in a sort of like, ah, oh, I ate chocolate and now I have a dopamine spike. It's like in a long lasting fulfilled way mm. being at home with my family and also finding who my, again, my peeps are like my best friends, the ones who understand me and the ones who I, go to coffee with and I could sit there with them talking for six hours rather than feeling drained after half an hour and I want to leave and I'm making excuses to do so, you know. I think that's really important. And also I really enjoy like I really enjoy like I suppose this is more of a uh, – no, okay. I, I feel like this filters into like the whole sort of spiritual worldview sort of thing. But I really like fantasy. I've always had a – had a um, natural attraction to magical realism and magic and fantasy and all that, which is why I'm really into like this video game. I always talk about cooking hearts and Final Fantasy and Harry Potter and all that stuff. I was raised on that. And it just like, it fills me with a sense of purpose. Like I'm an atheist and I don't exactly believe that we have a true fundamental purpose as human beings, I think we're just animals who happen to evolve into the state that we are in now. But that kind of, like, my belief is that we have no purpose and then therefore we're able to create our own, and which is why sometimes really awful people end up 
doing awful things and why some people end up doing really great things because the people who do really great things, their purpose is to make other people feel better and to do good in this world and make it a good world. And that's my thing. Like I want, I want to, my purpose is to, um, find the magic that I want there to be in the world in like other people and, and in the art that I make, you know, like I really love music because of, because it creates feelings. I think that aren't possible to experience outside of music. Like they can only exist through that one song that you listen to, you know, like Cyclopo by a band called Cirrus Icelandic. It's all, it's like the genre is called post rock. And it's like it's mostly instrumental. There's a bit of vocals and stuff. But it's Did you say Sigurus? Sigurus, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very ethereal and very big and epic. And it just always makes me feel like I'm like, wow, I'm so small, but I feel like I'm just filled with the spirit of the universe and that like something epic's going to happen. And I know it's not, but like I feel that way. And that, that stuff like makes me really happy as well. I love it. <laughs> I couldn't thank you enough. Thanks so much for coming all oh, the way over here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cool beans. I'm going to take your photo, okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sweet. Thanks. Well, there it is. That's Montaigne. You can find her on Twitter, Actual Montaigne, Actual M-O-N-T-A-I-G-N-E is where she is on Twitter. You can find her on Instagram as well. Just tag her, let her know that you heard the show and you like the show. Thank you so much to everyone on Patreon that uh, supports the show. Without you, I couldn't make this show. If Patreon stopped tomorrow, this show would end. So thank you for keeping this show afloat this last year. Um, There's no other way this show would make it to air without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get those exclusive episodes. Um, I hope you all have a good week. Um, But what am I going to do? I'm going to sleep a bit. I'm going to eat a bit. I might even do some more gym stuff. I might even go and brave it and let my brain just shut the fuck up while I lift some things. That might be good. Oh, I really need to get back on the bike too. God, I'm doing this Amy Gillett ride. I haven't been on my bike so long. I'm going to be the slow one in the back. Anyone who's doing the Amy Gillett ride, I'll be the slow one in the back, but I'm going to be there, no doubt about it. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much. You make my week... Um, when I see the download numbers, I'm stoked to see how many of you listen. I'm just really touched and honoured. Um, so thanks, Heat. Have a beautiful week. Look after yourself. Take care of the people in your life that you love. Um, and until we speak again, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.